Welcome to the One Football Premier League podcast. The Premier League is back. The Premier League is exciting. The Premier League is boring. The Premier League is unfair. We've got all bases covered today as I'm Matt Froelich. I'm joined by fellow Premier League enthusiast Dan Burke. Hello. And Alex Mott. Hello. I'm going to return to all that Premier League nonsense in a second, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on the World Cup draw and what you think of England's chances in the World Cup, Dan. Easy. Easy. It's coming home, isn't it? It's coming home. You're just feeding You're feeding the internet with comments like that. Feeding the frenzy. I mean, the, the point is that I actually don't care whether it comes home or not. So I'm, I'm happy to say things like that. I feel absolutely no pressure if it goes all tits up, really. So, yeah. I must say, I am... I, I, w- I was covering the draw with the One Football Newsroom and I, I was sat next to Joel and all his, you know, little anti-England quips in his Liverpool <laughs> agenda. And I was actually astonished. I was like, oh yeah, good one, mate. Wait, wait, really? <laughs> really? You celebrated Italy winning? Like, you don't care? I was astonished. I was like, Joel, come off it. But no, he's sticking to his guns. So I watched the Euros final with him. He, he was still on the table chatting, Italia, Italia. I was like, oh, that, that's a bit much. <laughs> yeah. I'd be bloody fuming. <laughs> Honestly, you uh, could be quietly anti-English if you like. But if you ever want to know why Joel's not on this podcast anymore, there is your your reason. Are you confident, Alex? Are you quietly confident? Um, Yeah, I think the group's probably about as good as it could have been, Mm. really. And then second round looks like it might be Senegal, I guess, or possibly Qatar if they pull a bit of a surprise. And I think from the quarterfinals, it looks like it might be France, which I don't see us doing too well in to be honest there's so, nothing there's nothing more English I don't think it's going to be coming out yeah no, but planning I, yeah, the planning ahead group, <laughs> the group looks pretty good but yeah from the the path looks like France in the quarterfinals so yeah let's hold off on the celebrations too much I think oh it's a tough one um but yeah, you can let us know, all of you listeners as well, what you think England will do and any other team and how the World Cup's going to go by tweeting us. Um, I thought I'd throw in like the Twitter handles and emails just in case people don't make it to the end of this podcast if they're sick of me. So uh, yeah, you could tweet me about underscore Froelich at OneFootball as well, or you can get everything else you want to talk about into the podcast. Uh, the email is podcast at onefootball.com. The weirder questions, the better, I'm going to say. Um, but let's get into the Premier League. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> encourage them. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, we'll start with um, the Premier League is exciting. That's our first little header for the day as the race for top four gets rather interesting. And I wanted to see whether or not you agree or disagree with my thought process on the top four. For the majority of fans, the excitement or intrigue about the top four is in a big name failing like United, rather than an underdog like West Ham succeeding in the top four race. Are football fans really that fickle, or am I just reading too much into Twitter, Dan? (laughs) I mean, I think the fact that the top four race has become such a big thing in recent years says it all, really, doesn't it, about about whether the Premier League's excited or not. Um, Are Arsenal considered an underdog achieving top four these days? This is the thing that, I mean, the top four race for West Ham, basically, if you haven't been in it before, is exciting. So mm. now we're just looking at who's going to fail, whether it's United Spurs or West Ham. Yeah. I remember the uh, the first top four race that I really got invested in was that one when Peter Crouch scored at the Etihad, Matt. I'm sure you 2009. remember that one, Matt. Yeah. What a race. Yeah. So. <laughs> and we've never actually been in a race for it after that. That was the only one we ever, like, the rest of the time we've just qualified quite easily, really. So, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember a few years later, it was in the same position and um, Crouch scored an own goal. It was yeah, literally identical. Right, yeah. And I was at that game. I thought, you know what? We're going to do it again. I'll go up. And then, yeah, disgrace. <laughs> that was that was awful. Um, yeah. But we will talk about the top four and the, the quote-unquote race for it. Um, starting at Chelsea against Brentford. A 4-1 victory for Thomas Frank's side. Um, was this a freak incident for Chelsea or should they start to panic about being drawn back into it, Alex? They're only five points ahead of Tottenham slash Arsenal. Um, and we actually did see this kind of result last year, that 5-2 at home to Sam Allardyce's, may I uh, <laughs> remind you, West Brom. Um, I mean, I'd, without getting splinters on my ass, I guess we won't really find out whether this is a freak <laughs> incident until a few weeks' time. But I, I think it, that West Ham, sorry, West Brom defeat last season was exactly the same time of the season uh, 12 mm. months previously. It was the anniversary, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, they, I mean, it was just before Chelsea were playing Porto, I think, in the Champions League, which they lost, which might not be a good omen for this week. But, um, I mean, 
I thought it was a bit of an odd team selection. I guess Thomas Tuchel had one eye on the Champions League. I thought this was probably the game that proved to me that Timo Werner probably isn't a Chelsea player. I thought he, he looked lost, although I, Ethan Pinnock played really well. I thought it's uh, up against him. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think that Chelsea, it's time for Chelsea to move on from him, really. In him in the centre of the park, they, yeah, that, that just didn't work at all. But yeah, I don't really want to focus too much on Chelsea being bad. It was all about all about Brentford being amazing, wasn't it? And Christian Eriksen probably had his well, definitely had his best game since his return from uh, from his heart attack in the summer. So yeah, it was um, yeah, it was Chelsea. Brentford were as good as Chelsea were bad, I thought. But yeah, Brentford were Brentford were exceptional, especially in the second half. Yeah, I I thought Brentford honestly absolutely stunning, and there was the moments of quality that I'm going to ask you about, Dan. Um, the individual quality from the likes of Ericsson, Tony, there was also um, Brian and Buemo, I thought was brilliant. Such a dangerous counter-attacking player. Um, I feel like a few years back, they may have been seen as, seen as too luxury for a relegation battle. Um, but are we seeing that that's now a load of nonsense? I think, yeah, the Premier League has come on leaps and bounds in recent years, hasn't it? And you don't really get those sort of luxury players anymore. There's quality players at every team in the league, really, you know, right on the league. Even even you look at, you know, the likes of Burn who've got uh, Wout Veghorst and, and Corne. Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I, could, I was blanking on his name for a second there. Uh, yeah, so they, uh, they you've seen it with Brentford. They've got, you know, Christian Eriksen, who, who was and still is an absolutely fabulous player. You know, when he was, a, when, it, when he went to Inter from Spurs, he was really good. And uh, yeah, it's great to see him back. Great to see him playing so well. You worry for Brentford, well, they're going to be able to keep hold of him after this summer because he's got a six-month contract there, haven't they? There's some chat that he that maybe Man United might be having a look at him at the moment. Maybe a few other clubs might be uh, might be jumping aboard the the Ericsson bandwagon again after his uh, after he sort of recuperated and rejuvenated himself with Brentford. But great seeing playing so well again. Yeah, Ivan Tony's another one who who might get picked off at the summer and, and maybe in Burmo as well. Maybe people will be having a look at him in the summer. Um, but yeah, they've been uh, they picked up again in recent weeks, Brentford. I think, haven't they? And this was a fabulous result for them I, I think that's what sort of pleased me the most about it is that hopefully gone are the days of just having 11 solid squad players with absolutely no sort of flashiness I mean name me one exciting player from that West Brom team that won at Chelsea 12 months ago <laughs> name me one exciting player one player from that West Brom team <laughs> I can't remember any of the names yeah, exactly yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I kind of there's something about it that I quite like and obviously there were great players in days gone by I think the likes of De Canio at West Ham when they weren't so good. I mean, do you remember when Birmingham brought in Christophe Dugarry and he saved them from relegation like 2002? <laughs> that was a World Cup winner. Like, there were some good players, but it seems there's always been this narrative of a bit too flashy, won't put in the hard yards when they're in the relegation battle and the going gets tough. And I think nonsense. You can go and play a counter-attacking star when you know you're not going to have the majority of possession away at Stamford Bridge. And when you've got the quality, they made it count. So... Hats off to Brentford, and yeah, Actually, like, just, like you said. Just thinking about that West Brom team, it, we were having similar conversations about Mateus Pereira this time last oh, year. Saying, oh, I wonder if yeah, the yeah, big clubs will be having a look at him in the summer. Do you know where he, he is now? I is it like up. Al Ali? I, I, Al Hilal. I think Al-Hilal. he's in Qatar, is he, or somewhere Saudi like that? Arabia. Yeah, Saudi Arabia, yeah, yeah. So, oh, I remember this. He um, When he left West Brom, he said, sorry, guys, but, you know, financial freedom. That's literally what he said in a in a press release. It's like financial freedom for me and my family. And I thought, you know, oh what? yeah, that's right. Everybody yeah. does that, but he's actually come out and admitted it. So fair play. <laughs> he, he hasn't sort of tried to give us, you know, give us the talk about the quality of the league or my time to move on. Or I wish it had ended differently. He just no, <laughs> just you know, financial freedom. Fair play. Uh, right now into the Champions League spots fourth. Spurs are in it at the time of recording because Arsenal play Crystal Palace tonight where a draw will see them regaining that top four spot. Um, do we now proclaim Antonio Conte as a miracle worker, Alex? After getting the best out of Doherty, Davis and Emerson, three players who looked impressive, got on the score sheet and aren't the butt of all Spurs jokes for, for this weekend at least. Yeah, I, I, I was doing this game yesterday for the for the app and I was, I don't know, I was just so impressed by Spurs. I thought first half, Maybe they were a little bit sluggish. I thought Newcastle did okay. Sort of sat back a little bit and tried to 
hit them with like free kicks and corners and, and counter attacks. But yeah, in, in the second half, they were they were so so good. And yeah, those three players you mentioned have been been excellent these past few weeks. Emerson Royale maybe less so, um, mm. but especially Matt Doherty. I, I, I uh, read an interview with him. I think it was in the Irish Independent over the weekend. Was saying about. Um, how when Jose Mourinho was manager, he got sent to, got told he was going to be in the squad for like an away game at West Ham or Aston Villa. And then when he was about to get off the bus, um, he got told he wasn't in the squad and wasn't allowed because of COVID protocols, wasn't allowed in the changing rooms. So I had to sit on the bus (laughs) for like a couple of hours. And he was just saying how like, he was just at such a low point in his career. You know, obviously a dream move to, well, he was an Arsenal fan, but a big move to Tottenham didn't really work out. And yeah, just the way that Conte's sort of rejuvenated him and made him probably one of the better players since his arrival has been, yeah, really something to see. And then obviously, Kulazewski, Son and Kane were all absolutely superb yesterday as well. It's been been great to see that that's how that trio just sort of clicked straight away from January. I think we looked maybe looked at Janu- their transfer window in January and weren't too impressed. Um, but Kulazewski and Bentoncourt have been yeah been exceptional since they've come in. So yeah, I'd be fairly pleased if I was you, Matt. I've got to be honest. Uh, you might not have been impressed, but I was. I was <laughs> oh, very yeah, impressed okay. by their side. Yeah, so maybe, maybe I was impressed, with it, but maybe I just didn't think they'd have brought enough quality in you know, over yeah. compared to some other teams. But yeah, they've they've both those players have been amazing. So. And I think I think that's a case that you can actually make for Spurs. And obviously, I'm going to be a little bit biased, and you know, maybe getting him myself a little bit excited. But there are, I would say, at least three positions where Spurs can still improve. Yeah, and that's the thing they're yeah. looking pretty good at the minute but there are still three positions where you think you know what Spurs can maybe go one better and and a few of them I think are Doherty and Davis to be honest as well as I think they've played in recent weeks um, but as for Newcastle though Dan they have fallen off I think it's fair to say I think that's three losses in a row now mm. including losing to Everton which seems to be the butt of all jokes this season <laughs> um, why was this performance so bad it seemed like a fairly solid team I thought on paper before the game yeah, you wonder whether they've sort of hit a bit of a point with with Howe now, whether they're, they're getting found out a little bit, whether they're not such a surprise package as they were when he took over and, and got them playing so well straight away and, and brought in a few new players. People have people have sort of worked them out now, and I mean, I think any any defense would struggle against Kane and Son in that form. But I think Newcastle's defense looked totally bamboozled by them, didn't they? Especially Dan Byrne had a bit of a torrid game. Um, Fabian Share as well wasn't very good. So I think. Yeah, a bit of re- a rethink is required from Howe. He's got a solid base to work with there. I don't think they're going to go down this season, but it's not looking too great for them. I think they got Wolves away on Friday night, so they're going to, going to want to be looking to to get something there, uh, they would hope, and, and then can can maybe finish the season strongly. Otherwise, yeah, who knows? They might get sucked back into the, the relegation battle if they're not careful. I, I do wonder if they've just sort of taken their foot off the gas a little bit, though. They, what did they go? Eight They're games on the beach. Unbeaten? Yeah, really. I, maybe it was yeah. eight or ten games unbeaten since January they went, and then they've lost three in a row now. So I think they've, they've definitely done enough to stay up. I think they probably might need one more win in the last eight to, to confirm it. But yeah, I do, I do wonder if they've just... Yeah, collectively taking their foot off the gas, and are now just looking looking ahead to the summer. Although, with the money, who, yeah, how many of them are actually going to be there next year? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> That's the thing. I think they're nine points clear of the relegation, and realistically, are one of the bottom three going to get nine points? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I I find it so funny how how a team like Newcastle, in the space of about three and a half months, has gone from relegation candidates to unbelievably good to on the beach. All within the space of three months. <laughs> I don't know how it's, they're doing this. It's, it's funny how we talk about players like playing for their future at the club and things like that. Do you reckon? Do you reckon players actually care too much about that, or do you reckon they're just thinking, "Well, worst case scenario, I'll be sold to somebody else. I might get, I might get a move to Al Hilal and get, you know, all my bills yeah, paid for I the rest of my life or something." <laughs> I don't know if they'd be playing for their places at Newcastle, but they'd definitely be playing for a contract somewhere else in the mm. summer. You know, if they're if people have short memories in football if they have if a certain player has a bad april and may i think that certain clubs won't go for them over the summer and you know you'll slowly end up sliding down the down the ladder so yeah i still do think there's a yeah. they've got a bit to play for some of those players over the summer I, I, I read a story in the i think it was in the, the mail over the weekend that they might be looking to get rid of uh, alan Sam maximan that seems harsh to me i think it I, seems I, like a great, honest, I, I think 
Yeah, yesterday he was probably their only bright spot in the second half, mm. I thought. He was the only one that was really looking for the ball and trying to take on players. And yeah, that does seem very harsh to me. Almost like they've, they've sort of said, oh, we'll, ha- we'll have to sell this guy to sort of raise some funds to reinvest elsewhere. And I thought, haven't you got unlimited wealth? Is that the <laughs> yeah, whole point yeah. of this thing? I don't, don't really get that. But. He's he's another one of them where real quality and quite a, quite a poor team, I think. Mm. I think I'm not sure you'd find him in, in a lower in a lower... Lower side a few years ago. Um, anyway, we're still on the topic of top four and three points behind Tottenham, sat in sixth position, are West Ham. Aaron Cresso scored a stunning free kick. I was watching it thinking, is he really going to do this? And the trajectory on the ball, unbelievably good. Um, not such a free kick or such a stunning free kick was his kick into the ribs of Richarlison. Um, talk about kicking a man when he's down. He literally booted him. And I believe it didn't even go to VAR, Alex. No, it didn't. But I, yeah, I think uh, as a boyhood Liverpool fan, I think that would, probably was a good connection as far as he can, he's concerned. <laughs> getting, uh, getting Richarlison you, right in the ribs. You, you know what I think's funny, right, is that it, it technically doesn't go to VAR. But does showing us viewers at home a replay count as VAR? I don't, is it? Why didn't it go to VAR? Is I don't know. It wasn't. But what the I'm thinking didn't is, see it on the pitch. Is that why? If they're sat in this this room or this magical kingdom of VAR, wherever they're sat, what if one of them's watching the game in the corner on his phone and he sees the replay, but he hasn't been officially shown it on VAR? Does he then think, oh, hold on, we're not being shown something, but I've just seen, you know, Sky have just played a replay and I think we should look at it. Is he allowed? Yeah, I don't know. I'm still not. I'm still not. Well, the VAR sees everything, though, don't they? The VAR sees everything and they just refer things to the on-field ref. Well, that that means they have seen it and just thought, nah, you're allowed to do that. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't seem right. We'll let you off with that one. (laughs) You scored a good goal. Never mind. You can go booting him. It was very odd. That's one rule they could bring in. Just let let a team get away with one outrageous foul per match. Like, do whatever like a nice you want, just... enforcer type thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just you could scrap as long as the refs are there to sort of monitor it or whatever they do in ice hockey. Very bizarre. Uh, one red card was shown though in East London to I've written here the calamitous Michael Keane, who I don't want to rip so hard, but is he the poor man's Maguire? It's probably got something to do with the fact that in my eyes they look kind of similar and have a similar playing style. But over 150 games for Everton, um, and he's still not convincing at around 30 million they signed him for from Burnley. Is he one of the worst signings of this Everton era, Dan? <laughs> uh, he's definitely up bar, there, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty low bar, yeah. I mean, 30 million quid. I, I didn't know they spent that much on him, actually. That's, that is quite a lot of money you could buy Rio Ferdinand for that once upon a time couldn't you? it shows shows how, how the market has changed I guess but yeah I mean to be fair like I, I do remember and I feel like this about a lot of Everton signings that, that have been sort of thrown under the bus in, in recent years and when we talk about what a rudderless direction the club is in I remember thinking that was a pretty good sign at the time I thought he looked pretty good at Burnley Me too. and it's just interesting to see how players can sometimes not cope with even a small step up or a small change of expectations like that. Um, I'm sure there is a good player in there somewhere for Michael, in Michael Keane. I'm sure he's just in a, you know, low on confidence in a, in a poor team at the moment, poor run of form for him, but he's looking really poor. He's on the ball. He's really bad off the ball. He's really bad. His position is always really poor. He's very error prone. Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what, what more. I think calamitous is the right, right word. For, is, is calamitous Mr. Keane, the, uh, the follow up to uh, the talented Mr. Ripley that we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, Michael Keane really wasn't the only one, to be honest. I think across the pitch, they were they were appalling. They don't really know what they're doing. They seem very directionless. I think, yeah, Frank Lampard would quite like to think it's the group of players that saw their fault. But yeah, I think his management hasn't really been up too much recently. Alex Awobi was really bad. I, I quite like him, but he made a big error yesterday for that second goal. And then just waltz back, trying, trying to like, it didn't even attempt to like try and win the ball back. I just... I know that really He's a luxury up. player. If you want to talk yeah, about luxury yeah, players, that's, yeah. that's one right there. Just, but he, wasn't, wasn't he in sort of a left central midfield position rather than a what? Yeah, he was front. Sort of playing a bit like of a hybrid eight, number eight, like wide role. I said, it, nothing about it worked yesterday from Everton's point of view. And then they've got a huge game coming up now on Wednesday. They've got Burnley, which is going to be, um, I mean, I don't think it'll be very good, but it'll be very, it might be an interesting one to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that's a 
huge game for them this season. Uh, right, we'll move on to the uh, the other side in top four contention. A lacklustre performance for Manchester United against a generally average Leicester side this season. Uh, were they lucky to get away with that ruled out second Leicester goal for a foul on Varane, Alex? Um, yeah, I, I could see both sides though. And personally, I thought it was a foul, but I don't know, going back to that in the build-up, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still... No, I wasn't. Didn't really like, like the fact that they. Yeah, Definite but it, I think it was a foul. I think it was a foul. But I just thought. I mean, I, I was listening to Gary Neville after the game, and he said it was played at the same pace as Soccer Aid, and I think he's <laughs> absolutely right. It was just That's offensive yeah, to Soccer Aid. Was, yeah, it wasn't good, was it? It really wasn't good for a team that was supposed to be still in top four contention. I'm using air quotes there, listeners. Um, I just, yeah, they just had nothing about them. They've. I, just, I haven't really said this this season, but I thought they missed Cristiano Ronaldo. I thought they actually created a fair few chances, especially in the second half. But I thought overall, yeah, both teams were pretty poor, really. And just they look, Man United just look like they want the, the end of the season. They just, yeah, they look like they've got a manager who they know is not going to be there next year. They don't really want to listen to his instructions. They're just, yeah, they're just, again, a bit like Everton, we just said before, they're directionless and just, yeah going out there with no ideas really which is I don't know it's, you can't even get angry about it anymore can you that's just that's the Man United way now it just yeah it was it was really really bad really well, I've never been angry about it yeah I was, <laughs> was going to say maybe United fans uh, but talking of the new manager Ten Hag is apparently set for United talks this week I, I've seen this right thrown around on the newspapers and on the on the online world I don't understand how he could be set for United talks if he's the Ajax manager What's going on here? Are they, are they, like, are you give them permission? Is he what? I mean, this yeah, sounds like. I guess that they they must have given him permission. I think. I feel it's, like it'd be bigger news. Well, apparently, very... a few of the players aren't convinced. This is what I've heard. Yes, um, we, yeah, we read that today. Yeah. So, so Dan, at what point do the players start running this whole club? Because. Uh, you hear at so many clubs, especially at Manchester United, maybe it's just a bit of a Ronaldo thing. Players aren't happy. Players want this. They decide the food that's going to be eaten. They aren't happy with the coaches. They want the tactics. They don't think a new manager is going to be better. They don't like the current one. They want this signing. I mean, I don't think this would happen under Fergie. Is this maybe symptomatic of what United are going through at the minute where no one's really able to establish any control? Yeah, maybe they've heard that he's going to ban ketchup from the canteen. Yeah, again that's the classic. Like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, if, if that report is true, that some of the players aren't convinced or underwhelmed by Ten Hag or whatever, I, I guess it's kind of fair enough. You know, a guy who has coached in Holland only so far and, you know, hasn't won anything at European level, anything like that. Um, maybe that is not that enticing to those players. My question would be, well, what do you expect at this point? I mean, they're not going to get someone on the level of, of Klopp or Guardiola. They're not probably even going to get someone on the rung down from him. I think Ten Hag would be a very interesting appointment for them. It would be a progressive appointment. He, he, he has got a good pedigree. He plays good football with his team. And I think it's going to be a project that's going to take some a while to establish. It's going to be a proper rebuild on the cards and, you know, some of those players that are there maybe are fighting for their future at the club now or should be anyway, because if I was in charge of running things at United, I would probably have a, a, a price tag on every single player in the squad at the moment, with the exception of probably De Gea. He's the only one who's really performed this season. Everyone else would be available for transfer if the right offer came in for me. Maybe, Even Bruno. Maybe not Bruno. Yeah. Maybe not Bruno Fernandes, but he's not been good this season either, has he really? So... Um, and, and he's cutting a bit of a sort of sulky, moany demeanour a lot of the time when I watch him these days, which I don't think he's really helping Matt either, um, shrugging his shoulders and puffing out his cheeks all the time and stuff mm. like that. So I think, yeah, United need to decide what direction they want to go in very quickly and stick with that. Uh, I think the, the idea to bring in Rangnick halfway through the season and not really back him in the way that was kind of promised... I, I, I was under the impression that, you know, this consultancy role was like set in stone. It was just a six-month temporary thing. And then he was going to really, you know, Gary Neville talks about coaching the club, didn't he? And and, and I read someone say that he has made some recommendations as to how they move forward. But it's pretty obvious stuff, really, like buy better players. Like, oh, brilliant. Thanks for that, Ralph. <laughs> Who would have thought of that? Experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know. They, yeah, they need to get this managerial situation sorted pretty quickly and then start building the team for 
Ten Hag because it's kind of comparable to when Guardiola came in at City. The difference being that City had built the club for Guardiola for like three or four years beforehand and it still wasn't ready. United are in no position for him to take over and hit the ground running now. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a couple of years probably before they're in any kind of decent shape. So they're going to have, going to, have to be patient, basically. The fans, the players, everyone. If you're Ten Hag, Ten Hag, would you go to Manchester United? I don't know. Yeah, it's really a massive step, yeah. It is. You would. But, but you're just on a hide into nothing. Do you think? Do you honestly think Ten Hag is going to be able to get Man United back at the top of the table within two years? Because that's all he's going to get. I don't know. I just yeah, think like, they are in poison chalice territory already, aren't they? I, I really do think they are, and I think you're better off staying at Ajax and then waiting for another job. I just think Man United is almost an impossible situation at the moment. And like Dan's just outlined there, just everything about the club needs to change behind the scenes. It's not going to happen with the Glazers still there. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know why you take that job. Maybe Pochettino would because he's just sick of PSG, and I, I can sort of get that, but. I think if you're Ten Hag and you're a coach on the up, I really don't understand why you take the Man United job at the moment. Really well, that's don't. it. Ten Hag has been talked about as maybe a successor to Guardiola when he leaves City. And yeah, maybe Ten Hag is better off just waiting out and, and seeing what happens there. And Because City are perfectly set up for a coach like that to come in now. Everything's in place. United aren't in that place at all. So yeah, it's, it, it is a calculated gamble for him, I think, yeah. I think there's still a little bit of sway with the fact it is Man United, but I think that's wearing off. It seems a very sort of generic, oh yeah, but it's Man United. And people of our generation who have grown up seeing them win so much would probably agree, so many players do. But maybe you're right, maybe that is wearing off. Um, But we'll move across to Manchester City. We're done with the Premier League is exciting. We're now moving to the Premier League is boring. (laughs) which is something argued when discussing the title race. Uh, is it boring that these two are cut above the rest? Because I doubt City and Liverpool fans would say so. Um, <laughs> Dan, your Manchester City side, well, not yours, but you support them, um, won a rather simple game versus Burnley, including Gundogan scoring what is possibly the most Manchester City goal ever. Um, mm-hmm. Do you enjoy games like that as a football fan? Are you entertained? I mean, at this point, I, I mean... Is the title race boring? Absolutely not. I think it's going to be one of the most fascinating ends to a season we've had for a couple of years at least, if not longer. Um, was that Burnley game boring for me? No, because I was very nervous about this one. I mean, we are in a position now where we can't really afford to drop any points. I knew that we would go into that game Liverpool top of the table because I knew that they would beat Watford in the early kickoff. Mm. And that's the first time in, I think, 120-odd days that City hadn't been top of the Premier League. Uh, it was only for a couple of hours in the end, but so me and my mates were talking about in the in the build up to the game, saying like an early goal would be the absolute dream scenario here. That's something that we can just get our nose in front and then sit on that for the rest of the game. As it happened, we got two pretty early goals and we're able to to really sort of professionally manage the game, you might say, and see it out. Um, if every game like that between now and the end of the season is like that, then uh, then I'll be delighted because I don't want I don't want any drama. I'm going back to Manchester at the weekend for the City Liverpool game, and that's definitely not going to be boring, is it? So. I think the conversation there is a conversation to be had about whether City are boring to watch at this moment in time is not the time to have it because it's all about just getting points nowadays, isn't it? And uh, and trying to finish a season with more points than Liverpool and however they get them at this point, I don't, I couldn't care less. It's not, it's not City's job to entertain people anymore. Well, we were actually, having said that, Liverpool's victory of Warford was a little bit boring. We'll get onto that in just a second, though, because we were laughing, Dan, <laughs> earlier. We were chatting about this quote that was doing the rounds. It might have been Danny Mills who said it. I feel like I saw it misquoted to Tony Cascarino as well, saying that Raheem Sterling has had a better season than Mo Salah. Is that an opinion that you can get behind, Alex? Um, I don't agree with Danny Mills on much. I'm not going to start now, I've got to be honest. (laughs) I Um, thought you were. I thought you were going to go, but Sterling. No, I I can't have that. No, Mo Salah's, yeah. I mean, as we said on One Football last week, he's probably the best player in the world at the moment. So uh, I like Stone. He hasn't scored a goal from open play since 23rd of February, (laughs) by the way, Salah. Just throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. Um, No, I I like Sterling. I think he gets a lot of unfair slack. I think he's been a brilliant player for City and he's even better for England. But um, yeah, to say he's had a better season than most Salahs, I think is uh, quite disingenuous, to be honest. 
<laughs> I didn't think it was Salah's <laughs> finest afternoon, having said that on Saturday. No, um, yeah, he was. Yeah. He, I think he didn't have a shot on target, did he? I think that's the first and time for he, he was, a year or something. He was replaced by Mane. And I, maybe maybe it's just me making this thing in my head, but I can't help but feel Mane's like, that's right. That's but I, right. I I've do, done this to you, and now I'm replacing you. <laughs> I do think we talk about like a Euros hangover for a lot of England players. We certainly talked about that at the start of the season. Nobody has mentioned that with Salah. You know, he's come back. He's come back from the African Cup of Nations, lost on penalties. It happened again to get to the World Cup a few weeks ago. I think to expect his performances to be exactly the same as they were before, I think that's very unfair on a player that's had such mm. high, you know, been so good for so long. So, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure... I, I'm sure for Liverpool fans, he'll get back to the level that he was by the end of the season. But over the next few weeks, to to go in on him after what's happened since post Christmas, I think, I think it's a bit harsh to be honest. Yeah, you know what it is. It's it, it's the curse of the one football Ballon d'Or. <laughs> yeah. Or the, or the Ballon d'Or one football, as we call it. Which yeah. I've never, never agreed with it. It should be the one foot Ballon d'Or, but anyway. Yeah. So, so it's yeah. A separate so, so just just for context, there at one football on the one football app, we have the Ballon d'Or one football every year, which we in the one football news rank all of our players. And I think Lewandowski came second. If what was it, Mbappe? Yeah. No, it was Lewandowski second. Lewandowski second, and uh, we we picked Mo Salah. Salah as the number one player in the yes. world, which I don't think is that bad. Um, I, I think no, it's, it's absolutely fairly, spot on. I think it's but... a fairly yeah. reasonable shout. Um, although well, I think not it was Messi who won it last year, and look what happened to him. So, <laughs> oh boy, sorry, sorry, Mo, for the year that's about <laughs> to unfold. <laughs> the best way to get back is to. Uh, is to make Dan cry on Sunday. Uh, but no, talking about the game at Anfield, it was a little bit boring at times in the 2-0 victory, I thought. Um, you've mentioned it there, Dan, the big game and how exciting it's being at the end of the season. Is this the biggest Premier League match in recent history then? Two of the best teams with eight games to go, seven, eight games to go, head-to-head for the title. I mean, obviously you can't be won and lost then, but you know, it's a big step. Yeah, I would say it probably is. I'm struggling to think of a bigger game in recent years than this one. Perhaps I'm, the fact that it's I'm not thinking that quite one just close after Christmas. There was one just after Christmas in 2019 when um, yeah. John Stones played it off the line. I think that was the last time it was like yeah. this from the yeah. neck and neck. And, th- and this one is even closer to the yeah. end of the season. I was going to yeah. say that perhaps it's not close enough to the end of the season to be sure. truly considered a sort of yeah. title decider. But it's, you know, I mean... City have the slight upper hand going into this one in that we can afford to draw and still potentially win the league whereas uh, if Liverpool draw then it's still in City's hands to win the league this this season but yeah it's going to be a massive game which I don't know if it will decide the title but it's it's going to have a huge say in, in where it ends up isn't it? What would you say about this being a sort of title decider at the end of the season? Let's say teams finish level on points as like a playoff style just you two one <laughs> game winner takes all are you up for that American <laughs> style Dan? I mean, if, if if it had to be decided in that way, uh, then yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say well, I want that to be brought in. But maybe <laughs> one day in our lifetime, there will be a scenario where we that, have to have like a finale like that, that and the old school long range penalties where you dribble it from the centre circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what we all want to see. Um, we'll step away from the boring and now to the well. I was going to say mediocre actually, but Wolves are five points behind fourth place Arsenal, and. Mm. Although the Gunners have three games in hand, I didn't include Wolves in this Champions League chasing conversation. Should I be Alex, or is that one step too far for this team? Yeah, I think it's the games in hand, isn't it? That's mm. that sort of stops us thinking about that. But yeah, they had a slight dip, didn't they, Wolves, like a few months ago? But they've yeah, they've come, they've clawed it back again, and yeah, they've looked really, really impressive all season. They're scoring goals again, which at the start of the season they weren't really doing. They were, it was sort of one nil, was nil nils, but yeah, they've sort of found their on their foot in again in front of goal which is good and then I, Jose Sarr I think has been a brilliant signer for really them good. A, yeah like Rui Patricio was a really good goalkeeper for them and they obviously <laughs> lost him in the summer to Roma um, but yeah it's, so it would have been you would have thought on the surface it would have been quite difficult to replace him but yeah they went to Olympiacos and found Jose Sarr and he's he's been absolutely brilliant so yeah I, yeah, I, I like Wolves and I, I really like what Bruno Lage is doing but I think Champions League might be a step too far to be honest 
Um, for Aston Villa, who I I look at them every week and I really struggle to think what's going on. I know last time, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I think they were equal distance from Europe and relegation and they're pretty much still there now. Uh, does Coutinho stay beyond the end of the season, Dan? I think things are looking pretty good back in Barcelona, but I'm not sure he's going to be a part of that. <laughs> no, the Barca don't want him back, do they? I don't think. And uh, probably be wise to try and cash in when they kind of think get about 40 million for him this summer, that'd be great. Uh, whether he's having second thoughts about joining Villa permanently at this moment in time, I wouldn't blame him, really, if that was the case, because they're not in good form at all at the moment. Steven Gerrard is a bit like Frank Lampard, sort of turned on his players a little bit recently, hasn't he? And thrown them under the bus a bit and mm. was was slagging him off at the weekend. Uh, whether that's just something that he's doing to motivate them publicly and taking a bit more responsibility for it behind closed doors, I don't know. But yeah, it's a bit of uh, interesting times for them, really. They've, they've hit a real slump in form and Gerard needs to needs to go back to the drawing board, I think, and, and think of a, a better plan. Elsewhere, talking of midfield games, and there was uh, midfield, even mid-table, but one <laughs> midfielder and is in question in the lead Southampton game. And I've got a question for you, Alex. Mm. James Ward-Prowse, better than Beckham? <laughs> um, I think he needs five more, doesn't he, to level his Premier League record? I think he scored 13 free kicks and Beckham's on 18. Um, yeah, he's amazing, and he? he really is. It's, it's sort of, I can't really think of a better free kick taker in the world at the moment. He's a proper, proper old fashioned Deadpool specialist. Whether he's as good as Beckham, like in open play, I'm not so sure. But um, yeah, I do think, I do think Will Prowse is a, quite an underrated player generally. You never, I don't know, you never see like Arsenal linked with him or, you know, Liverpool or Tottenham. And I do think he's, he could probably play in it for a Champions League team. I do, I do think he's that good. But um, yeah, maybe a, maybe a bit to go yet before he's better than Beckham. Yeah, that was going to be actually my next question for you, Dan, is that if you take away the set pieces, and obviously you know he's going to bring good set pieces to the team, if you take them away, is he that level? Like, let's say he comes into a team who already has a set piece specialist, whoever. Um, does he still fit in? Like, do, do Tottenham Champions League or no Champions League could they do with Ward Prowse in their side as a general footballer? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I don't. I don't really know what his qualities are as a footballer. What you know, how high they are outside of that that uh, the set piece ability and I mean, his, his amazing technique, isn't he? And he's played and captains a Premier League team for many years. So obviously he's a quality player. I just don't know how good he is. I'd like to see him at another club outside Southampton, see how he got on. I remember him being linked with Villa last season. Mm. I think they were, they pushed quite hard for him. Didn't get him in the end. You think he's probably a bit better than that, but I, just I would don't think know that's a bit of a sideways yeah. step. Yeah. Tottenham seems like a, a reasonable fit for him. Whether Tottenham would have any interest in signing him, I don't know, but, but yeah, I mean, any, any team would do well to get a better free kick taker than him, wouldn't they? I think he's probably the best in the Premier League. I don't know. Talk about Bennett like Beckham. Were we saying whip it like Ward Prowse? That's what I was thinking about the whole time you were talking there, Alex. So. <laughs> I did one not that far away looking your eye. Was too far. I can't wait to see the movie. It's going to be scary. I was I, yeah. talking of, of going to Tottenham, though. Tottenham's set pieces are normally woeful. Harry Kane has a record for the most goals, the most free kicks taken without scoring one. I think he's wow, got to take okay. one more, and it's fifty-eight in a row without scoring. He wow. scored on his very—he scored his very first free kick of the Premier League, a deflected one against Aston Villa eight years ago, and since then has proceeded <laughs> Who to take some for Spurs, smash it into the wall. Uh, it's Eric Dyer usually gives them a go. Oh, I um, remember Kyle Walker scoring an amazing one for Spurs once, and I don't think he's taken one since. He did. He, he scored two. Yeah, so he got an unbelievably good one. You're right. Um, but yeah, I think Manchester City uh, have a wealth of talent in that area. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. Cole, having said that, Edison's next on penalties, so maybe they don't have such good set yeah, takers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on, though, I had to laugh, right? Brighton against Norwich was a nil-nil. Terrible, terrible nil-nil. Not much to say, but for those of you that listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that my little anecdote about Brighton is that every time I read the BBC <laughs> match report, there's a mention of Danny Welbeck having a good chance. So, lo and behold, I went onto the BBC today, checked the match report for Brighton Norwich, and it said... Brighton had created chances before that with good play down the left from Leandro Trossard leading to a mishit shot from Morpai before Danny Welbeck saw a close-range effort blocked. 
And I just thought to myself, the legend continues. Danny Welbeck is here to nearly score. He does not mess around with actual goals. He's here for the XG, and that's all you need to know about Danny Welbeck. Uh, aside from that, I'm think, not even um, sure this would be last on match of the day. It just wouldn't I think, even be uh, on it. since I came on the podcast about four months ago and told everyone how much I like Graham Potter, I don't think Brian <laughs> yeah. would want a game. So apologies for that. This is <laughs> of death. Yeah. Still winning for the England job. Yeah. You're the they've only had, one flying that flag had, now. They're, 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 they've gone seven matches without winning. They've had 102 shots in that time. Jesus, yeah, that's sad. They had 31 shots against Norwich. And 31? Score. Yeah. I wonder how many Danny Welbeck missed. Probably quite a few. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've scored one goal in that seven-game winless run as well. I got a header from Lewis Dunk. Good Lord. Well, yeah, keep an eye out for Danny Welbeck nearly scoring every week. But, um, my God, <laughs> that's that's abysmal. Um, yeah. Lastly, then, from the Premier League, we have... This is Monday afternoon, by the way, if you hadn't guessed already. Uh, Crystal Palace Arsenal is tonight. Patrick Vieira taking charge against his former club. Uh, what are your predictions, guys? Alex? Um... Arsenal playing quite well, aren't they, at the mm. moment? I, yeah, they've, they, they look like they're humming a little bit. I, I'm going to say Arsenal win 2-1. Dan? That'll be my prediction. I'm, I'm going to back Palace to win 1-0 because I watched City at Palace a few weeks ago and they were very good uh, and caused us a lot of problems. So I reckon they might beat, Pal- they might, might beat Arsenal tonight. I'm going to go for a 0-0. I'm not quite sure it's going to be that interesting, but there we go. We'll have to see. If you're listening to this after us, feel free to have a little chuckle to yourself at how wrong, <laughs> how wrong we've got the predictions. Um, we've got all bases covered there, though, yeah. haven't we? So. <laughs> it's almost like we planned this. Uh, next up, we'll move on to the hot topics. And this week takes us to the Premier League is unfair. The last of our uh, of our title cards, the new five substitute rule. Is it helping or harming the competitiveness of the Premier League, Dan? I think there is definitely an argument to be made that it benefits the bigger teams with deeper squads than, you know, your Burnleys, your Norwiches down at the bottom. Um, I, I don't really get it, to be honest. I don't really get why it's such a big furore about why it's necessary. I mean, Guardiola is a big proponent for it and half the time he doesn't even make three subs, let alone five. I guess it's nice to have the option if, you know, you've got injuries or you've got a lot of games coming in quick succession, you want to make a few changes, but I don't know. It just just seems like three subs is the perfect amount to me. And one of my mates asked me the other day, why have we gone from three subs to five subs? Why not three subs to four subs? And that was a great question that I couldn't answer. Like, why five? It just seems arbitrary, really, doesn't it? Why not not 11 subs if if we're going to go all out? Like, why can't you just make unlimited subs? I don't really get it. Roll on, roll off. It's like Sunday League. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That is is a very good point. I feel like everything outside the starting 11 is done in odd numbers. Three subs, mm. five subs, seven on the bench, nine on the bench. Yeah, maybe football has a thing against even numbers. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I mean, you might find that p- p- teams bringing too many subs on kind of makes games less interesting because it kind of re- disrupts the flow and breaks the rhythm a little bit. Because uh, it's like a, it's like a fucking basketball suspension, isn't it? Five subs, like it's just. It, I don't. I don't do, like it. Do you think? And I, I think it that it, it might be a byproduct of going a bit overboard on player safety. I think the original plan of it was we can make five substitutes, we can keep fresh legs, we can allow squads to rotate so they're not too tired because, you know, we've been heard a lot about a busy footballing schedule. Obviously, Corona hasn't helped that, but with the Winter World Cup uh, and more tournaments and more pre-seasons, that, that was the original plan. And this is an unfortunate byproduct where the richer teams have gone, actually, we could pack our squad with even more stars now and use them all. Do you think that yeah. you've kind of got to take that in the name of player, well, player safety, player health? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think, yeah, like you say there, Matt, I think it is a, a byproduct of player safety. I think it's probably a bit of a panacea to the bigger clubs who are now, from next season, playing, what is it, 10 more Champions League games a year? Some of them, know, maybe eight more a year. Um, so I think it's probably a way of keeping them on board and not trying a, you know, another Super League in a few years' time. Um, but yeah, I'd, I do inherently think it is probably a bit unfair to those clubs at the bottom of the table. I wonder if a way of going about it is maybe if the like the last, it's weird, I mean, there's no way this would happen, but maybe if like the last two subs would have to be young homegrown players, maybe that would be a way of like evening it out slightly. Yeah. But if, yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's never going to happen. That's pie in the sky stuff. But um, yeah, I just, I do inherently think that it's probably, 
yeah, it does favour the big the big clubs with the, big, with the larger squads. This one, I think the real shame is that you're going to find it's, it's almost filling up squads like Chelsea have basically done by having what was it sixty eight loan players or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, you're going to find that the better players at smaller squads, and I think we, we spoke about it earlier. Imagine, imagine Manchester City signing. St. Maximan from Newcastle, Ivan Tony from Brentford, and Ward Prowse from Southampton. You're taking three quality players that mean so much to their club that are basically going to come and come in and be part of a, you know, twenty-six man Champions League squad and barely get on the pitch. I mean that's is that what everyone's against, basically? Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just thinking, I'm just spitballing here, but maybe a, a better idea would be to just have it for cup competitions and Champions League and Europa League, which is the case now anyway. You can do it in the Champions League, can't you? You can mm. make five subs already and and make and keep it at three for the league. I don't really see why the Premier League has decided. I mean, was it voted for in all the clubs? Because I remember it was voted well, yeah, down it, you, originally, you wasn't need, it? Yeah. You need 14 yeses to get things through. So, mm. And before they tried this and it didn't get through, but... Now, for whatever reason, yeah, 14 clubs have decided that they want it. So, yeah, why? I'm, I'm not so sure. But, yeah, it has, it has been ratified. by. by what, what amazes me more than anything, and I know the game is very fast-paced today, is you watch that old football tapes in the 70s and 80s. They've got, like, one sub. <laughs> Sometimes they're playing, like, yeah, we played Boxing Day and Christmas Day this year. I think, how, how has this happened? It was just 11 yeah. players playing every game. None of them could walk by the time they were 35. Yeah. That's the problem, isn't it? So. <laughs> one sub. Imagine like yeah. imagine trying to keep everyone happy these days. Just Sorry, our one sub's the keeper this week. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, next up, we'll move on to our question of the week. And uh, I kind of paused there, hoping there'd be some sort of interesting I was gonna say, have you got a little tune. Going to bring my keyboard next week. Have a little nice little intro. <laughs> Question of the week: um, How much is Declan Rice worth? Because David Moyes has been. <laughs> David Moyes said, I think his quote was, "It'd be 150 million minimum, but he's not for sale." Yeah, yeah. So he's sort of giving mixed signals <laughs> there. Um, we we are at this point, and I think we have discussed it before, where. There's a massive disparity between what a player is worth to one club in terms of what he could potentially bring them and what he's worth if you were to try and sign him. We know there's a massive difference, but realistically, you're putting Declan Rice in the same category as potentially Harry Kane. But are you also having to base it off of um, off of position as well? I saw there was one, there was one um, let's say, waffler online um, it might have even been the radio station who said Rice isn't going to get you so many goals. That's, that's not even his job. <laughs> what a mad thing to say. <laughs> what do you reckon, Alex? Yeah. How much is he worth? Um, I mean, real, realistically, he's probably worth, I don't know, maybe 80, 90 million. But, I mean, in theory, he's just worth whatever a club will pay for him. And I think mm. if Man United could more than would be more than willing to stump up maybe 130, 140 million for him. He's very good. That's obviously a ridiculous amount of money, but he is very good. He's never gets injured. He's consistently eight out of 10 for West Ham. I think he's one of the main reasons why they've improved so much over the last few seasons. Um, and what is he? 21, 22. So he's, so he's going to be around for at least 10 years, barring any major injuries. So if you're looking at it over the course of, say, over, yeah, over the next decade or whatever, then 130 million probably isn't that much money, to be honest. So, um, yeah, and I, yeah, I really like him. I think he comes across well in interviews. I think he's, I think he'd be a good, and he's English as well, which, you know, obviously you're going to pay a bit of a tax for that. But in terms of like branding and marketing and all that sort of stuff, that's good for any big English clubs. So when you take all that into account, and if for a big club, it probably isn't that much money. I think Chelsea were probably the club that would go for him or would have gone for him before what's happened happened. So um, I'm not sure yeah, where he would go in the summer. I guess maybe Man United. But um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a ridiculous amount of money. But I do think he, if you're going to pay for it for someone, Declan Lice is one of those players that you pay it for. How what do you think, Dan? Would would you be happy if City went big, th- 130 million on him? Well, I don't think City need him really, so I don't. I, I, I wouldn't see that happening, and I do think that is that is too much money for him. But Alex makes a good point there that there is something that gets lost in a lot of talk about transfer fees is that there's no such thing as value in football. There is only price. How much are you willing to pay for someone? How much are you willing to sell somebody for? 
people forget that a lot. You know, you can get bargain players that's value will then increase over the time. You know, look at like Andy Robertson at Liverpool, for example. They paid eight million pounds for him. Is he an eight million pound player? No, he's a hundred million pound player, probably. But people forget that. So at some point, West Ham might decide that they want to sell Declan Rice. David Moyes is obviously never going to put a a achievable price tag on him in public. Uh, they might be able to negotiate. A club might be able to negotiate maybe an 80, 90 million pound transfer for him. That would be probably a reasonable amount for his age, his position, his quality and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't see him going for 150 million. If West Ham are really going to stick to the guns about that, which I don't see happening, then he'll probably just run his contract down and leave in a free transfer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nobody yeah. nobody wins then, do they really? So, yeah, if a club wants, if, if Manchester United come in for Declan Rice this summer and, and West Ham say we're not selling for less than 150 million, I think you'd be mad to pay that. But he is a great player. It's like the Grealish one last year as well. He's not worth 100 million pounds. Yeah, he never was. City could afford it. They wanted that player. So they just went, okay, we'll do it. I really want a poster of you above my bed that says there is no value, only price. <laughs> Some inspirational quote. I want a white flowing robe and just you stood there <laughs> giving me motivation in the morning. Uh, did you see this, um, the, the report that in, uh, adjusted everyone's prices for inflation over the years. I did. So, yeah, so I did Guy Rebrov yeah. costing Spurs like 120 million or something like that. I did see that. It was, yeah, it was interesting, was top, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was interesting that because I've always, I've always said that you know, despite all the money that have sent that the city have spent over the years, comparatively they haven't really gone mad with transfer fees before the the, the Grealish one. They'd not really like broken any transfer records for years. I think Carlos Tevez was the last one. So. Uh, it is interesting to see how when you do adjust these things. I mean, it, it, it was adjusted for a, a formula of inflation, wasn't it? It wasn't the actual mm. rate of inflation in the UK. It was like a football formula, I guess yeah. you would call it. But uh, yeah, I, I did find that very interesting. Like, what the was Grealish it? was the most expensive signing we'd made on like 17th on the list of all-time Premier League signings, yeah. Yeah, Shearer was like 220-odd or something like that. It was yeah. like Neymar yeah. equivalent. And that was 15 million. Back in, yeah. was it 96, I believe? Yeah. Maybe? yeah. 96, yeah, Jesus Christ. That is a lot of money regardless. I love that Rio Ferdinand was there on there twice. Yeah. Amazing. Did well, that's you... it. Yeah, yeah. Th- £30 million pounds for him in 2003 is an obscene amount of money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, was... now it gets you Michael Keane. Like, yeah. it's... <laughs> well, I think, was it, wasn't it Zidane at the time? or No, no, who was it? Christian Vieri. Christian Vieri yeah. was about £47 million. It was something back back then. I think it might have been a bit before. Was something like eighty billion lira, whatever it was in Italy, like just an obscene amount of zeros to write on a check to a football club, getting in the billions. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you today. I'm not sure Rice is topping one hundred million because I don't think any player is worth that. Having said that, he's an unbelievably good player, and and I I could see why a team would buy him to fit into their starting eleven, especially Manchester United. I think they do they do pretty good with him. Um uh, yeah, but before we end, I uh, just wanted from all of us, I guess at One Football, to wish all the very best to Louis Van Gaal, who has said that he is receiving treatment for prostate cancer. Um he's currently in charge of the Netherlands national team. Um, announced on Dutch TV that he was receiving the treatment and said he had kept the news from his players during the international break as he didn't want it to influence their performance. Um, absolutely astonishing but yeah like I said we wish the 70 year old all the best and that is where we leave the podcast this week so of course you can get in touch throughout the week whenever you like on Twitter you can at me at Matt Froelich or at OneFootball um, and you can also drop us an email the address is podcast at OneFootball.com so that's all we've got time for this week thank you to my guests as always I hope you've all enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week so see you then see you then